All right. Well, welcome to Advent, everybody. It's uh, just a great pleasure to be with you at this time of the uh, Christmas season, and uh, the church is beautifully decorated. A lot of people came yesterday, uh, volunteered, and uh, made this church look beautiful for Christmas season, so I'm thankful to uh, all of you uh, who are here and, and who helped, and those of you who wanted to be and couldn't for some reason, uh, but it's fine. Uh, the place looks great, and just excited for this, uh, this time of year. Well, we're into Advent now, and uh, the reason Jesus came is what we're going to be talking about this Advent season. Uh, Jesus said specifically several times in scriptures, this is why I came. And so we're going to look at some of those this is why I came statements during this Advent season. And in week one, uh, our uh, purpose statement or Jesus's purpose statement for his life, uh, talking about hope, is the hope of salvation because Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. So we'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 19 today, the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, but before we do that, I want us to uh, go to the Lord uh, and let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for this uh, most amazing time of year when we uh, celebrate uh, that the, our Savior came into the world, Lord, that he took on human flesh and uh, lived a perfect life. And Lord, that he died for our sins. And that's what we're remembering uh, this Christmas season, Lord, uh, please give us the hope that fills this holiday season, Lord, uh, as Michelle mentioned, not a, not a lottery-winning kind of hope, but a, a certain hope, Lord, that because we have placed our faith in uh, your Son, that we have eternal life. And Lord, uh, we do lift up the people who are sick today. Uh, we lift up Wendy, who's just having a hard time with this uh, pelvis a fracture that she has, and uh, Lord, thank you for Becky's uh, recovery from knee replacement surgery. We lift up uh, David and Jana with uh, uh, dealing with the effects of COVID, and Lord, for the other people in our church who are sick, we're not feeling well, Popsy in particular, Lord, we just lift all these people up to you and uh, pray that you'll give them the hope uh, that Christmas brings, Lord, no matter what happens, we are safe and secure in your hands, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Well, these are the words to one of the most famous Christmas carols, right? Santa Claus is coming to town. And if you've ever really listened to it, the theme of the entire Christmas carol is the justice of Santa Claus, right? He exists, uh, and he watches. He knows what you're doing. He sees every single thing that you're doing. He knows if we've been bad and if we've been good. So he's seen everything we've done. He knows every attitude that we've had, and he will reward us accordingly. Now, if you're good, according to the song, it's little tin horns, little tin drums, Rudy Toot Toot, and Rummy Tum Tums. I have no idea. <laughs> Curly head dolls that cuddle and coo, elephants, boats, and kitty cars, too. So this is what you get when you're good. Uh, it doesn't say what you get when you're bad, but traditionally, what do you get? You get coal, right? You get coal in your stockings. And so, uh, depending on what you do, Santa Claus brings justice. Well... 
We'll be looking at the story of Zacchaeus today. And if Santa Claus was watching over Zacchaeus, he'd fill Zacchaeus' stocking with coal because he had been very, very naughty. He had not been nice at all. And so he deserved justice for his sins, but what Jesus gave him instead was mercy, grace, and even salvation. And that's the hope that we have as sinners too, that even though we deserve justice, we get grace, mercy, and salvation. So Christmas is the time of year when we believers celebrate that Christ came into the world as a helpless babe. And you know, for a lot of the world, it's a feel-good holiday, right? Because uh, they don't have the same hope that we have, and they don't have the same beliefs about Jesus that we have. Uh, They don't acknowledge that Jesus is God. Uh, and that he came and lived and died and rose from the dead. But, but believers, we have a different attitude about Jesus. Uh, we know that he's God in flesh who came to the earth, and so we worship him. And so, as I mentioned, this holiday season, Jesus said specifically several times uh, the reasons why he came. And uh, so this Advent season, we'll talk about this specific reason why he came, uh, the hope of salvation, because Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, to set this up a little bit, as we come to Luke chapter 19, uh, when we get there, what we've just finished, if we read the whole Gospel of Luke, uh, an entire travelogue of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. In fact, uh, chapters 9 through 19 of Luke contain a lot of material that is not in any of the other Gospels. There are uh, different stories, different parables that are only contained in those places. And this large unit, these 10 chapters, begin uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where uh, Luke wrote, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was in Samaria when he said those words. Then he journeyed all over the region, uh, and he was about to head to Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. His last stop on the way to Jerusalem was in Jericho, and that's where he met Zacchaeus. So as we're reading this story, what I want us to keep in mind is that Jesus was only a day or two away from the triumphal entry in Jerusalem, maybe a week or so from the cross, uh, and that's where Jesus was in his life. And this is the love of Jesus, to put Zacchaeus before himself, to to, to seek and to save Zacchaeus uh, when he himself was going to the cross only a week later. And he does the same thing for you and for me. Uh, To every sinful person, he offers this hope of salvation. Uh, The same offer he extended to Zacchaeus, he extends to every man or woman who will hear his voice, receive the gospel, and be saved. And this is a hope that our world so desperately needs today uh, in these troubling times. So let's look at Zacchaeus' discontent first in verses 1 to 3. He entered Jericho, that's Jesus, entered Jericho, and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. But even more than that, he was the chief tax collector. So tax collecting was like a pyramid scheme in the Roman Empire. Uh, the lower guys on the tax-collecting pyramid had to pay up their cut uh, to the guys who were higher above them up the chain. And so as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus would have had several tax collectors beneath him, all who had to pay up the chain to Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus had to give what he had to give to Rome. 
Uh, so Zacchaeus is lining his pockets with all of these, uh, taking cuts of all the cuts that the people below him had taken. And so that's a pretty good position, and he had become very rich. Now, the downside to this, of course, was that he was hated by his own people because he was deemed a traitor for, taking, for working for Rome, first of all, and then taking more than needed to be taken for Rome, second of all. So Zacchaeus is rich. He's got this very high position, but something is deeply missing in Zacchaeus' life. His wealth didn't satisfy him. And so he heard that Jesus was passing through. Uh, surely he would have heard of Jesus by now. Everybody knew who Jesus was at this point, although Zacchaeus had never seen him. Jesus had done miracles. Uh, he had said uh, many things. He, he claimed to have authority, and he promised salvation to his followers. And so that's what was missing in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus had all the wealth. He had everything materially that you could want. But what Zacchaeus was missing was something that money couldn't buy. And isn't that a pervasive problem that we have in our culture today? Uh, so many people insist on trying to find their pleasure in materialism, in stuff, in things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if we could just get that promotion, if we could just get that raise, if we could just get that girl, if we could just get that car, uh, if our kids would turn out okay, uh, if the doctor's exam would go well, if I could just lose 10 pounds, if I could just lose this pain that I have in my back, uh, if I had a happy marriage, well, then, then I would be happy and satisfied. Well, the problem with this kind of thinking is, first of all, it's unrealistic. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So, you know, guess what? We have trouble. We shouldn't be surprised uh, to know that we have trouble because Jesus promised that we would, even as Christians. And second uh, problem with that is that God gives us these struggles for a reason. Uh, he uses our difficulties to grow us spiritually. If life was always perfect, we would become self-reliant, self-sufficient. We would drift away from God, uh, and we would be thankful to ourselves uh, for the good things that we have. We wouldn't need God. So God allows us to walk through some difficulties uh, so that we'll lean into him, recognizing our dependence on him and relying on him for our provision. And then the third thing is that our troubles show us that anything that we rely on for our happiness, for our satisfaction, is fleeting. Uh, the Bible says the things of this life are passing away. But the Bible also says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So where do you want to place your hope? In something that's passing away or something that's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Uh, Jesus is that anchor. So the only thing that will ever truly satisfy us forever uh, and satisfy our empty and aching hearts is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Blaise Pascal is credited with saying that there is a God-sized hole in our hearts that only uh, Jesus can fill. And I think if you've come to faith later in life like I have, you certainly have a, a great understanding of that. Uh, for those of us who came to faith later in life, we wandered around this planet uh, seeking hope, thrills, and pleasure, and just about anything else that we could think of, uh, and we found it all to be empty. Uh, we had a God-sized hole in our hearts. We just didn't know it before we came to faith later in life. Uh, and when we found him, or better yet, when he found us, well, that changed everything. Uh, that satisfied the longings of our hearts, and that everything changed after that. For me, uh, the things that used to be important to me were nowhere near as important to me anymore. And I'm sure that most of you uh, later in life conversions might testify the same. 
so that's the case with Zacchaeus. He's got riches, but he's got this emptiness, this God-sized hole in his heart. Even if he didn't realize it at the time, he knew there was something missing in him. Being a tax collector made him an outcast, right? He was despised. He was shunned by his own people. And so he felt compelled to seek Jesus. And maybe Jesus could fill this sadness and emptiness in his heart. Well, the crowds made it difficult for Zacchaeus to see Jesus because he was a man who was small in stature. Now, I can certainly relate to this. Uh, Every time I go to a concert or a baseball game or something, the biggest guy in the crowd sits right in front of me uh, without fail. So if I only had a sycamore tree like Zacchaeus, things would have been so much better. Uh, So Zacchaeus determined to see Jesus, and he goes to the nearest sycamore tree in verses 4 to 7. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. And he hurried down and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner." Well, Zacchaeus recognized the urgency of the situation. Uh, Jesus was passing through. He wasn't planning to stay in Jericho. He was headed on toward Jerusalem. Now, Zacchaeus didn't know that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and that he was going to be crucified there, uh, but he did know that he wasn't going to miss this opportunity to see Jesus because he didn't know if he would get another chance. Zacchaeus was smart. He didn't procrastinate. And that's what's happening so much in our world today. People want to put off making a decision for Jesus, saying, "Eh, I'll I'll do that sometime down the road. I'll think about that sometime down the road. But we never know how much time we have left. And those who die without receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior will perish. They will be in hell eternally. The Bible says, "Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, Zacchaeus didn't harden his heart. In fact, he climbed a sycamore tree. He was wanting to see Jesus. And so it must have been embarrassing for him. Think about that. He's a leader uh, in the community, even though he's hated. He's a rich man, and he's got to climb a tree like he's a little kid. Uh, But he was a rich and powerful man. And even though he was, he was willing to subject himself to that shame in order to see Jesus. Well, Jesus looks up into the tree, and there he sees Zacchaeus. He knew him by name, even though they had never met. And so Jesus called him down. Come down from that tree, Zacchaeus. Today I must, I must stay at your house. The Greek word for must is the word that is typically translated, it is necessary. It is necessary. That is what must means. So Jesus found it necessary to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Why? Well, not for anything Jesus had to do, right? It wasn't necessary for Jesus to stay at Zacchaeus' house. It was necessary for Zacchaeus for Jesus to stay at his house. Uh, And so that's the beauty of Jesus. He's God. He's perfectly whole, self-sustaining, self-sufficient, all in himself. He doesn't need us. He wants us, and so he comes after us. And the only reason it was necessary that he had to stay with Zacchaeus was so that he could bring salvation to Zacchaeus and fill his emptiness. And so he called Zacchaeus by name. Isn't that interesting? 
there's something about when people remember your name, right? If you haven't seen somebody or you, you met somebody one time and they remember your name, isn't that something that makes you feel good that people remember you, know who you are? It reminds me of the old uh, theme song to the sitcom, Cheers. Do you remember that? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came, right? We long for that familiarity, uh, for, for this uh, closeness, this intimacy of relationship with people. And it makes us feel special and important when people remember your name. Now, Jesus had never even met Zacchaeus, so he must have been blown away that Jesus knew his name. But imagine Zacchaeus's joy. <clears throat> He's rejected through his own life choices, to be sure, but still rejected, shunned, despised by his own people, and still uh, called, uh, named, received by Jesus, uh, who he had never even met before. Well, Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus hurried down the tree, and Jesus received him, uh, and, and uh, Zacchaeus received him as well, gladly. Now, of course, the people who were there, uh, they didn't like that, right? They didn't like him receiving this man who they perceived uh, as wicked, and so that angered him, uh, the rest of them, and so they began to grumble. And uh, this word for grumble was interesting, uh, because it's only used two times in the whole New Testament. It's used here in this verse, and it's used in Luke 15, uh, the beginning of Luke 15, when the scribes and Pharisees grumbled because Jesus received sinners and he ate with them. And so uh, their reaction in, in Luke 15 uh, to Jesus was to grumble against him because Jesus uh, received them and, and he ate with people that they considered sinners. And of course, uh, this led Jesus to tell the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And so in each of those parables, Jesus' point was that God seeks and saves the lost and that heaven rejoices when one of the lost is found. And so that's the same thing we have going on in our story here. Uh, grumbling is the natural human response when we think that we're being treated unfairly, right? We grumble and we do that all the time. Uh, and so what happened here is that when we're thinking honestly, uh, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we may have grumbled as well, right? Because we would be thinking, now wait a minute, of all the people, Jesus, you could have picked, you picked this guy, the worst guy, the most dishonest guy of all the people, this is the guy you pick? That would cause us to grumble, perhaps. Uh, Jesus offended their sense of justice and fairness. But justice is a funny thing, isn't it? Like we, we tend to want it very much for other people. But when it comes to us, we want mercy. We want mercy way more than we want justice. Uh, if Jesus gave us all justice, what we get is eternity in hell, right? But instead, Jesus gives us mercy and grace. We get eternal life by simply receiving the gift he offers. Now, the people who grumbled against Jesus for receiving Zacchaeus, they wanted justice for Zacchaeus. They didn't want mercy. Of course, they didn't see themselves as sinners in need of mercy, too. Uh, if Jesus had chosen one of them and said, I must uh, come and eat at your house, well, they would have said, well, of course he picked me. Uh, I'm certainly deserving of this honor for Jesus to come and eat in my house. Uh, but that's the problem with evaluating ourselves, right? We all think we're great in our own eyes. We, we, we tend to have blind spots. We tend to not see the places where sin is pervasive in our lives. And we're great at identifying the speck in other people's lives, but not seeing the log in our own eyes. And so uh, this is what we, we, we sometimes fail to recognize, is that none of us deserves mercy. We all deserve justice. Uh, Zacchaeus 
knew he deserved justice, and he didn't squander this opportunity uh, of Jesus's offer of mercy to him. And so Zacchaeus responds to Jesus's invitation in verses 8 to 10. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give him back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And this is the most amazing part of the story to me. Luke doesn't record any other conversation between uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Uh, it seems that Jesus didn't have to tell Zacchaeus, you know, you, you've, you've been a bad guy and you need to make restitution uh, for the things that you've done. Uh, it seems that, that Zacchaeus didn't need to be told. It seems that Jesus' presence alone changed Zacchaeus. Uh, he knew that he was in the presence of someone special, if not uh, fully understanding uh, Jesus' Godheadness yet, uh, but he certainly understood he was in the presence of something special. He, he saw Jesus for who he was, and he saw himself for who he was, uh, recognized his own sin, and he repented of it. A part of the problem with our culture is that people don't see Jesus for who he is. Uh, many people want to say, well, maybe he was a good teacher, or maybe he was a wise man, but certainly not God to whom we must uh, surrender and submit our lives in obedience. Uh, and that's because many people want to be their own God. And this is why postmodernism uh, is such a, uh, an appealing worldview. The, the idea that uh, everybody can create their own truth. Nobody has the right to say what's right and what's wrong for anyone else. To criticize is to be deemed intolerant and hateful. And more and more as Christians speak the truth, we will be called hateful people. Our speech will be called hate speech uh, and will be branded as intolerant and hateful. <clears throat> now, if we're being honest, sometimes we have deserved that branding uh, because we go about it the wrong way. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we're real strong on truth and not so strong on the love part. We come about really judgmental, and that makes us unattractive to believers. And, and how can we expect people who don't have the Holy Spirit to understand the truth that we're saying unless we bring it to them with the love of Jesus Christ so that they can receive the Holy Spirit and hear but if we want people to hear the message that we have, we have to balance truth and love and then leave the convicting to the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the thing about Jesus, right? He was always able to perfectly balance love and truth. He's always had them perfectly in balance. And that's in evidence, one evidence that he's God, right? As humans, we're going to get it wrong. If, if, if Jesus were just a teacher, if he were just a good man, you know, he would have blown it just like you and I blow it. But, but Jesus never blew it. He always had the perfect balance of love and truth. And that's why outcasts loved him so much. Uh, he knew how to reach them. It's also why the scribes and Pharisees hated him, by the way, because when he brought truth, even when he brought it in love, the Pharisees and scribes didn't have ears to hear it. Uh, Jesus called a spade a spade. He was not afraid to do that. But he knew Zacchaeus' spiritual condition. He knew what Zacchaeus needed. And so he didn't condemn his sin. He just called Zacchaeus to him. He was willing to spend time with him. He called him by name. Uh, and I wonder how much good it would do 
for the people that we talk to if we would have the same approach, that we would, uh, instead of calling out every single sin we see, spend time with people, get to know them, develop a relationship, develop a bond, especially with unbelievers, and then earn the right to speak into their lives with love uh, and then truth. You know, Jesus may have been the only friend Zacchaeus ever had. And this invitation that Zacchaeus received from Jesus may have been the only invitation Zacchaeus ever received. How many people do you think invited Zacchaeus over to dinner when he was fleecing them day and night, right? Probably not too many. Uh, so Zacchaeus' heart was already primed to receive Jesus just by Jesus' act of kindness. And Zacchaeus' reaction shows his change of heart. Now, just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 18, Luke, or Jesus told the parable of the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich man asked Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And uh, the man said, all these I have kept since my youth. And then Jesus got to the heart of the matter. He said, you go then and sell all of your possessions, and then you come follow me. And the man couldn't do it. He walked away sad because he valued his possessions more than he valued Jesus. He, he loved his stuff, and, and he wouldn't sell it all. And so as far as we're concerned, or as far as we're told, uh, that's the last we heard of him. So uh, he may have been saved later in life, we don't know, but from all we can see, his money came between him and his salvation. Well, Zacchaeus was different, right? His money was not going to be a barrier to him. He knew that in Jesus, he had the best thing, and he also knew that some of his wealth was ill-gotten, and he resolved to make things right by restitution. So Zacchaeus imposed a penalty on himself that not even the law would have required. Uh, so far greater than the law of Moses. First of all, he said, I'll give away half of my stuff. That's not required anywhere uh, in the law. Uh, but there were provisions in the law when you have been sinful and when you've gotten uh, stuff that you shouldn't have illegally. There were, there were provisions in the law that required uh, uh, restitution. And so one of them is if somebody acquired property by bearing false witness, here's what Leviticus chapter 6 says. When he sins and becomes guilty, he shall restore what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion, and he shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. Now, I would say this is the, the sin that Zacchaeus was guilty of, right? By extortion, by fraud, he's taking way more than he had to take. So, uh, according to the law of Moses, he would have to pay back everything he took plus one-fifth. Well, Zacchaeus did way beyond that, right? He said four times as much. If I've taken anything, I'll pay back four times as much. Now that penalty uh, we can find in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If you steal and slaughter cattle, then your restitution, according to the law, is to pay back four times the amount of what you stole and slaughtered. Now, Zacchaeus didn't steal and slaughter cattle. He was guilty of another crime. But this is the penalty he imposed on himself, to pay four times back in restitution. And so he imposed a penalty greater than the law required. And Jesus was, was satisfied, was pleased with Zacchaeus' heart change. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Now, let's be clear. It's not the good work that Zacchaeus did that brought his salvation, right? It's his salvation brought the heart change that then brought the good work that resulted in restitution. And then Jesus called him a son of Abraham. Now, isn't that a strange thing to call a Jew? 
The Jews around him would have, been, would have been saying, what do you mean he's a son of Abraham? We're all sons of Abraham. We're Jews. Well, Jesus has something else in mind. Uh, and so why would Jesus say that to Zacchaeus? Well, remember, Jesus had this kind of confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees more than once, right? In John chapter 8, they insisted that they were children of Abraham because of their lineage. And Jesus said, your lineage means nothing because you reject me. And then Jesus went on to call them children of the devil. And then uh, when Paul came on the scene, he started writing and he talked about the physical descendants of Abraham. He said, you are not descendants of Abraham because of your physical lineage. It's only the spiritual children who inherit the blessing. And so those are the true children of Abraham. So when Jesus was calling Zacchaeus a son of Abraham here, he was indicating that a real change had happened in Zacchaeus that had not happened in some of the other Jews. Uh, he was already a physical child of Abraham because of his lineage, but now because of his faith in Jesus, now he becomes a spiritual child of Abraham, adopted into God's family by his faith. And then we come to verse 10, uh, Jesus' purpose statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, Zacchaeus was the most hated guy in town, right? Uh, he was an outcast, and still Jesus sought him out. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a physician, it is the sick. So Jesus always found the blind, the lepers, the bleeding, the dying, anyone unclean and untouchable in society. Those were the ones who became Jesus' target. They were the lost. And so Jesus went after them. The word for lost in Greek is the, is the Greek word apolumi, and it has a wide range of meaning. It can mean to ruin or destroy on the one hand, to, to simply misplace something on the other hand. And I think both meanings kind of come in here. Uh, when we place our trust in, in salvation in anything other than Jesus, well, then we have misplaced it, and we are ruined and we are destroyed spiritually. And that's what it means to be lost. You are spiritually lost because you're placing your faith in something other than Jesus for salvation. And Jesus knows that eternity in hell awaits the lost, and that's why he so eagerly pursues the lost both then and now. And maybe the only reason that he had to go through Jericho was because he had an appointment with Zacchaeus to seek and save him. Now let me remind you again that he's a week away from the cross, He's, he knows that he's got the cross plainly in sight. His, his crucifixion is right there in front of him. And Jesus was still focused on fulfilling his purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. Now, some of Jesus' followers, uh, they misunderstood what his purpose was. They thought he was a military messiah who was going to topple Rome, usher in uh, the glory days of the kingdom of David a thousand years ago. <clears throat> but Jesus' purpose was not to overthrow Rome. It wasn't to reform the Jewish religion. It wasn't to win arguments with the Pharisees. It wasn't to establish Israel as the world's superpower. His purpose was to bring salvation to lost people, to save them from the punishment they deserve, to give them eternal life. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. So if that is Jesus's purpose statement, how can we apply this to our lives? Well, I think it's fairly simple. The first thing we do is this, we seek the lost as well, right? You know, statistics say that within two years of a Christian becoming a believer, we won't have any unbelieving friends anymore. And we'll have very little contact with unbelievers, with lost people in general. 
Uh, and it's understandable in one sense because believers want to be with people who are like us, who share our faith, who share our worldview. Uh, we don't want to be tempted into sin or perhaps offended by sin of an unbeliever. Uh, and, and, you know, we also need to, to help build each other up, to, to edify each other spiritually. Uh, and so these are all good reasons why, why we would want to be with other believers. And it's comfortable, right? It's comfortable to be with other people who share our same worldview. But Jesus shows us here that comfort should not necessarily be our main goal. Uh, Jesus looked for lost people. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Lost people who were far from him, couldn't be any more different from him, sometimes hostile to him. And then he offered them salvation by faith in him. And so we can do the same. We don't always have to travel in the exact same circles every time we go somewhere. We can step out of our comfort zone. We can be around uh, unbelievers, uh, look for people who don't know Jesus, and we can try to reach them with the gospel message. Uh, Jesus has the power as Savior to turn their hearts. He's asking us just to present Jesus to them. So I'd like us during this Advent season to challenge ourselves, to, to try and speak to a lost unbeliever or two not even necessarily to, to share the gospel on day one. Just befriend an unbeliever. Get to know an unbeliever. Be kind to an unbeliever. Uh, develop relationships, and then you'll have a chance to share the gospel. So let's see if we can do that during this Advent season. Find a few unbelievers and just develop a relationship with them. So we can do that, and we can share the gospel if we do. So seek the lost. And second, recognize that that faith transforms. Look what it did for Zacchaeus. He went from greedy, greedy swindler and traitor uh, to his own people, to this generous man who's giving away half of his stuff. Uh, he was transformed from outcast and pariah to a member of God's family through faith in Jesus. And for Zacchaeus, it happened immediately. It was in an instant. Uh, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And so God gives the Holy Spirit to lost people who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that he died for our sins, and that he took the punishment we deserve on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. And so each of us ought to have a testimony about uh, how faith has transformed our lives. It may not be an immediate change like Zacchaeus, but we ought to all have a testimony, something we can point to about how God has changed us. And, you know, God's not done with us yet. Just because we've reached whatever age we're at, we have not yet arrived, right? God is still transforming us if we are open to the Holy Spirit uh, and listening to him. God has plans for us. We're not finished products. So just think for yourself, how has God transformed your faith over these past 18 months uh, since, you know, the COVID uh, has happened? And, and what has God done in our church or in your life? Uh, how has he increased your faith? How has he transformed your faith? Even now, uh, we ought to be able to come up with a few things that God has done that makes us know uh, that he is real and that faith uh, does uh, amazing things for us, uh, even in the chaos that's going on in this world. So seek the lost, remember that faith transformed forms, and also remember that no one is beyond God's reach. You know, I started this sermon talking about Santa Claus, and he makes a list, he checks it twice, uh, he knows who's naughty or nice. He's basically an accountant, right? That's all he is. He's just, he's counting beans, you know, good deeds here, bad deeds here. Uh, he rewards according to some chart that he has, uh, but he has no power to change anybody, right? He's just, he's just doing what he does and what he has the power to do. He has no power to change us, and he may be fair, and he may be just, but he's not merciful, right? And, and that's 
the beauty, the glory of Jesus. He has the power and the desire to change the worst sinner uh, and adopt that person into his own family. So this Christmas season, uh, you have people in your family, in your friend group, that you're heartsick over because they don't have faith yet. God can reach that person. Do you know that? Do you believe that? If he can reach you and me, uh, he can certainly reach them as well. So don't give up praying. The hope that we have at Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world as a helpless babe, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead. And he offers everyone that same hope of salvation because Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we do thank you for this amazing, amazing time of year where we recognize that Jesus came into the world as a helpless babe. And Lord, uh, the life that he led and the death that he died, all for us, Lord. We just thank you for this time of year. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your son who was just the most awesome savior, a savior that no man would ever invent. Uh, Lord, a savior who only you could devise. And, and Lord, we're just so thankful. Lord, this Christmas season, I pray that we think about how we can speak to the lost. Uh, Lord, I pray that we have a hope that even if we're hurting physically or spiritually, Lord, that our hope is found in you and you will never disappoint, Lord. And as we reach uh, closer to that day, December 25th, Lord, I just pray this is a special season for us individually and as a church body, Lord, uh, that we uh, find our hope in you and, Lord, that we are uh, able to figure out ways to, to bring others so that they will have the same hope in you that we have. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, Lord. Amen.